Hey, well, good, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, you may be uh, new or visiting Pulpit Rock. I'm new also. Uh, I've been on staff about six weeks, and um, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. My name's Roland Smith, if I haven't met you. Um, I get to lead worship a couple of times a month and help oversee the worship arts ministry with Cindy Lindbergh and a great team. Uh, my other title here is Pastor of Missional Culture. What the heck is that? Um, it's a new title. It's a new thing I'm leaning into also. And really what it means is we're starting to have conversations here about what it looks like for all of us to be missionaries, to be sent people to live into um, the places we live, work, and play as Christ followers. And, um, and so we're, we're going to start exploring that. And that's a good segue into introducing our guests this morning uh, because uh, Deb Hirsch and I are co-laborers in an organization called Forge America. Forge America is a, um, a training institute. It's a collection of authors and speakers and pastors that seek to help people have uh, a paradigm shift, help people understand that they are all missionaries. We're all called um, to be sent and to, be, to live into our culture. So she and her husband, Alan, um, have been super instrumental in the missional church conversation, uh, which is kind of what we call that. Alan is one of my heroes. Uh, he helped me have that shift through some of his books and his speaking around the world. Uh, now that I've become a friend of Deb's, Deb is higher on my hero list than Alan is, uh, but don't tell Alan that. Um, but, so I'm excited uh, that she is here. Uh, Deb is an author. Uh, she is a speaker. She's a writer. She's a teacher. Uh, most importantly, she pastored a church in Melbourne, Australia for 16 years, pastored a church in Los Angeles uh, for five years. Um, she also right now kind of specializes in uh, she's one of the voices on sexuality in the church. Her most recent book, Redeeming Sex, Naked Conversations About Sexuality and Spirituality. It's a title that I think is really cool because I just got to say naked and sex in church. <laughs> all in the same sentence. And the fact that we're laughing about it, that's kind of the point, right? It's... it's Something we don't talk about enough in church, and so we're, we're going to get into that. It's been important in shaping important uh, discussions around the world, through conferences and churches and with groups um, all, all around the globe. So she is one of my favorite people uh, to hang around. She's a joy, um, and she has a really cool accent. Um, so put your hands together and help me welcome Deb Hirsch to the stage. Hey, you're welcome, and uh, good intro. I like Lovely, you, I like being your fa my favorite over Alan. That's right. Yeah, don't tell him I said that. Um, it's great to have you here. We have uh, about 30 minutes and 100 questions, so we're going to do a question and an answer every, every 15 seconds or something like that. Um, I mean, we really have a lot that we could talk about. Um, it's one of the things that I think we should start with is that before we just jump into topics is uh, your story, because your story captivates me. I just think it is um, uh, the way that Jesus, where Jesus found you. Could you just share us a brief, um, a brief overview of, of how you were called to follow Jesus? 
Well, I guess um, my story really starts with a crazy Greek guy named George. George happened to be one of my drug dealers. And um, he uh, was picked up by the local police to have to do time in a local prison cell, not for drug dealing, ironically, but for unpaid parking fines. And, uh, <laughs> but prior to George doing time um, in the local lockup, he began searching and seeking answers uh, to life. He'd begun looking into some religions, and we used to call George, he was more the philosopher in our little group that would hang out together. We would all get stoned together and kind of contemplate the stars and talk about life and is there a God and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but George took it a little bit more seriously and began to look into different things. So on his way uh, with the, to go to the local lockup, he thought he, he just saw his mum's big Greek Orthodox Bible sitting on the table and he thought, oh, I may as well read the Bible and see if there's anything in the Bible. And um, so he took it with him and I tell you, I saw that Bible, it like, weighed about 10 pounds, it was huge. So I don't know what the policeman thought when he's kind of carrying his big Bible under his arm. But um, literally what happened to George in that prison cell was he opened up the words of scripture and the Holy Spirit fell on him. He came out 10 days later, a completely different person, uh, told his brother, John, that he had uh, encountered God in the prison cell. And um, John also encountered God. And the two of them then got together and they wrote a list of everybody that they were dealing drugs to. I happened to be on that list, as was my sister and a number of others of my good friends. So they prayed through their drug list. I always think that's a very novel way of doing evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the beginnings um, of my journey. When, I, when Jesus, I say when Jesus kind of grabbed me, I was actually uh, part of the LGBT community. Uh, a lot of my friends were involved in all sorts of and wonderful lifestyles and um, uh, we were you know ragtag bunch of kind of crazy people really and we just you know one after another of our friends probably within six months about 50 of us came to know uh, Jesus as our Lord and um, but we didn't have a church because George had found you know God in prison we just had our Bibles and so we decided to find a little church and um, uh, we discovered this one that was near our house. We were all, it was a whole bunch of us living in a big community house in downtown Melbourne in, in Australia, which is where my accent is from. And um, so we found this little church and a whole bunch of us went there one Sunday morning and we were so eager and excited and we filled up the first couple of pews of the church. And, um, but as we were walking down the church, we were looking at the congregation and we discovered that the youth group were in their 60s. Um, all, there was just a sea of grey hair and, um, and all very neat and tidy. The ladies had on hats and, you know, little gloves and things and the men were all in suits and I think I had on my pyjama top and we had friends' underwear hanging out and, you know, dyed hair and mohawks and all sorts of kind of crazy clothing. And um, we kind of walked in and they were looking at us and we were looking at them it was like a really, you know, clash of two cultures, two completely different worlds. But that's where God had us. And that's where we worked out our first years of our discipleship. Some of those people struggled with us. Uh, some of them took us under their wings and loved us. And they prayed for us. Uh, they didn't really know what to do with us, but they did know how to pray. And they did know how to love. 
um, and they knew God was at work. And we found out later from our pastor, Pat, that um, he would remind those people that were grumbling about us that they had set up this uh, prayer meeting specifically for one reason, to pray that God would bring young people into their church. So Pat said, I would tell the grumbling people, it's not my fault you weren't specific enough with God. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was our early years, and, and very soon uh, after that I met uh, Alan, my husband, um, and we just... We went off to seminary and just wanted to serve the Lord with our lives. Neither of us had come from church backgrounds. He was from a, in a Jewish family. And um, so we did. We, we went into full-time ministry, pastored, as you said, for 16 years uh, in a city church in Melbourne uh, with a whole bunch of weird and wonderful people. We, we felt that God had called us to specifically, you know, connect and build relationships with those that a lot of the churches weren't connecting with. Um, so we, we set up a lot of ministries for uh, the working girls of our city and the working boys. So we had a big ministry to the prostitutes, a uh, big ministry to the homeless people. We did several church plants among some of those people. And it was wild. It was wonderful and, you know, 16 of the best years of my life. Um, and then we began to feel this passion and call to come and serve the church in America. So we did, and we now live in Los Angeles and... Uh, as Roland said, I pastored a church in, in LA there that was actually birthed out of the Burning Man community. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that community. Some of you are nodding. Some of you are looking at me wide-eyed. Um, <laughs> so it was a kind of a crazy, you know, crazy community. But it, it's whatever God has called us has always kept us on the edge uh, in lots of alternative communities. And, and we've loved it. And, and now I found my, find myself talking a lot more now about uh, human sexuality and you know, navigating some of the conversations around the LGBT community and how we as a church respond. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing over the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and you're a, a trained counselor, licensed counselor, and, and a pastor also. So I think um, that's, we, that's what we want to hear you speak in, into a little bit in this series that we've been going through called HER, um, which is this acronym for honoring, empowering, and releasing women to be who, who they've call, been called to be by God. Um, it's been interesting that as we've talked the last couple of weeks uh, through kind of women in leadership and the, and the Me Too movement um, abuse issues, we've gotten responses from pe uh, people in different ways that say, I've never heard the church talk about this stuff. And that, you write a little bit about that and talk about that also. Um, why do you think it is so hard for us as people of redemption uh, to talk about sexuality in the church I'm not really sure is the the answer but I think I just feel that there's this kind of weird icky cloud of taboo that hangs over all things sexual um, you know in God's church and I, I'm not sure why it's there you know I love um, you know for me when I read the Bible you know I think of the Bible as actually as one big long love story between God and his people and and honestly I don't think God is remotely embarrassed about talking about human sexuality. He created us as sexual beings, did he not? Um, and even, you know, with the sexual metaphor we see in the scriptures, the Old Testament, you think of God's relationship with his people. It's a marriage relationship. God is the husband and Israel is the wife. Um, actually, to be honest, she's more often than not the adulterous or the unfaithful wife. 
And we see even, you know, the prophets are kind of always calling Israel back to faithfulness to her marriage relationship with her husband. And um, there's, there's one interesting, um, one of the prophets in the Hebrew, um, he's really angry and he actually calls Israel a whore and says, what have you done? You've spread your legs to other gods. And in the English, it doesn't come through like that because yeah. we've kind of neatened it up and tidied it up because it, it kind of offends our senses when we kind of think of, oh, this is the holy book speaking like that. Um, and I just think, you know, all the way through there's kind of sexual metaphor. God's not afraid to say it as it is. Um, and even our relationship to God is of a sexual nature. You know, we now in the New Testament, our relationship with our Lord is, what are we? We are the bride going to be marrying. Now that's, again, it's a marriage relationship. And you know, we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb at the final consummation. So I think, what is a consummation? You know, don't think too hard about that. But, you know, and then, and then right in the middle of the Bible, we have this weird book called The Song of Songs. Like, I have no clue what to do with that book. Um, but all that tells me is that God is not embarrassed. God doesn't kind of get all uncomfortable talking about this stuff. You know, the holy book is full of stuff about human brokenness and relationships and relational brokenness and all sorts of things. Why don't we talk about it more honestly and more openly? You know, we're afraid to talk about, you know, put God and orgasm in the same sentence. Was not God the creator of all? God was a creator of this kind of stuff. So we've got to, we've got to loosen up a bit, people. Yeah. What's the story? <laughs> what's the story you told? We had a group of missional leaders yesterday. Um, and we're talking to them, and you told a funny story about um, orgasm with Alan. What was that? Yeah. We, we do a lot of stuff on... I just want to say these words in church, you know? <laughs> so, and you're giving me an excuse. Yeah. Well, we were, we were, I was conducting a wedding, and you know what a wedding's like. It's a very formal kind of setting, and everybody's in their nice clothes, and everybody's sitting there, all, you know, politely. And, um, and he was addressing, you know, the, the bride and the groom, and um, I don't know about other wives, but, you know, I tune in and out when my husband's speaking. And, uh, <laughs> but there was one moment where I tuned in and he was saying, wouldn't you like to meet the God who created the orgasm? And I was like, I kind of clutched my pearls and kind of started sliding down in my seat thinking, oh, my gosh, did he just say that? And I was looking around just to see how people were responding. And he didn't even think anything. Because it's a wedding, like, for goodness sake, if you can't talk about it at a wedding. And um, we had a lot of non-Christians there, but the interesting thing was that some of the Christians that were there were really offended and let him know, you know, that you shouldn't have been talking like that. But the non-Christians were lined up wanting to talk to the minister and find out about the God who created the orgasm. And so we were kind of like, oh, my gosh, we're missing our greatest missional opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So you, you speak a lot about um, spirituality and sexuality um, together, which was a little bit of a shift for me. It's, it's helped me think about my own sexuality as a man and how that relates to other people as well. Um, could you speak a little bit of that? And I know you have stories of, of people that have navigated their sexuality 
um, into spiritual understandings as well. Yeah. I think it's a... Um I think it's a really important shift for Christians that we do begin to understand the connections between our sexuality and spirituality. Um, I think one of the helpful ways is to really define what is spirituality and what is sexuality. And I think, you know, in an overall, and again, these are just my definitions, but in a, you know, overarching way, our spirituality really is simply stated, it's that kind of God-shaped hole that each human being has. Um, God has created us with a vacuum that only he can fill. Um, and if he doesn't fill it, we will worship something else. It's just the way we're wired. Um, so our spirituality, really, if I think back to before I found Jesus, I had this kind of longing in the pit of my belly, you know, kind of where I carried all my existential angst, if you like. Just this kind of longing to know whether there was somebody beyond me, whether there was a God you know, whether we were cosmic orphans. I mean, I, you know, used to wrestle through some of these, uh, you know, this anxiety that I carried. And I come to realize that our spirituality really is our longing to know and be known, our longing to love and be loved by the, the God or the being beyond us. Um, and it's, it's, it's how we were created. We need to be in relationship with God. And if you think about our sexuality, uh, the first thing we have to do in understanding our sexuality is realising, I mean, we've been having a, a bit of fun with talking about sexuality as it relates to kind of sex and stuff like that, or what I call, you know, our bits and bobs and what we do with them. And, um, but if we think about human sexuality, it, it's much broader and it's a much bigger concept than just about the bits and bobs and the mechanics of sex. It's actually our human longings to be connected to other humans. Um, that sometimes has nothing to do with eros or, you know, the erotic side of who we are. It's really our human need for intimacy and connection. God has created us as profoundly relational beings. Um, and again, we're created in God's image. And God in the Trinity... Oh, just popped out. God in the Trinity is in relationship. And we've, we're created like God and we need to be in relationship with one another. And so I think our, our sexuality is far bigger uh, than what we automatically think about. It really is our need to have intimate relationships. It's all the stuff of the heart. It's what pushes you and me out of isolation into community, out of loneliness into relationships. It's our need to have friendships on, on very deep levels uh, where we can begin to remove some of the masks that we wear. We wear a lot of masks, if we had to be really honest because we long to be known and to know others, but we're f afraid. We're fearful of vulnerability and we're, we're scared, but God has created us to be in relationship with one another. And so if we look at the two definitions, really they, they go hand in hand. In many ways, our spirituality is our, what I call our vertical longing. You know, it's, it's the, the longing to be in connection with the God beyond us. Our sexuality is our horizontal longing, and it's, it's not the God-shaped hole, it's the people-shaped hole that each one of us has. Um, and it's important that we recognise that, that each of us are called and need. For us to flourish as humans, we need to be in relationships that are feeding into us. And some of those relationships will be married, marriage relationships. Others won't be, because not all of us are called to be married. And not all of us are in circumstances where we will be married. Um, so I think it's, it's important we bring the two together because 
when we keep them separate, we keep them in separate compartments. And we've got to realise that actually one is a reflection of the other. And I often think of it from a missional perspective. You know, if we began to look at the world, we, it's very easy for us Christians to look at the world and think, oh, they're so messed up sexually. You know, they're just so broken and all the rest of it. I say to people, imagine if in humanity, humanity's explicit search for sex is actually an implicit search for God. Mm. You know, that really our longings for relationship is, is what we have. And that's the hunger that we each carry. You, you said something yesterday that um, was new for me, um, which was that, that some of the issues that we've been talking through and that we see in, in the news reports and culture, you know, abuse, all those kinds of things. If you think about someone as having a people-shaped hole and they're, they're longing for, to fill that hole, then a lot of times these issues can be brokenness in that search. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. I can't remember what I said yesterday, but that's all well, right. Well, that was a so long time ago. Specifically, <laughs> we talked about how, you know, the, 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 you said the LGBT conversation, abuse issues, me, the Me Too movement, all of these things may be God saying it's time, it's time, church, and everyone to face yourselves as. Um, beings of sexuality that have this longing and this yeah. need, but it's just, it's coming out in broken ways. Oh, re very definitely. I think, um, I think the LGBT conversation is, is one of the key conversations for our age and for our time. Um, and we have to, I don't think we can avoid it anymore. We need to have these conversations and we need to navigate um, some of the complications around some of that. But I think that it's, you know, generally, you know, often the church, with anything to do with human sexuality, we, we have a lot of fear about that. And I think we, it's too easy for us for our first response to be a response of fear. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's too much. It's overwhelming. Let's just put our heads in the sand and, you know, not kind of address it. But I think it's a great opportunity for us. I think um, what I think the conversation around the LGBT community is doing is forcing us to look at our own understanding of human sexuality um, because we are inadequate in our understanding. And so we, don't, we find that we don't have the answers to give people uh, like from the LGBT community. So I see it as a great opportunity, to be honest. Um, and I think it, God's forcing our hand a little bit. He's saying, you're gonna have to do your homework and go back to the bigger picture. You know, I call the LGBT conversation the micro conversation that actually belongs in the context of the macro conversation of human sexuality. And I think we've got to, you know, we've got to really start navigating that a lot better than what we do currently yeah. in the church. Um, could you speak to your own experiences maybe as, as a woman that God called to lead a church, to be a pastor, to uh, write books? Uh, you and Alan launched an international missions uh, movement uh, with a friend, uh, Mike Frost. Um, what, what are some of the hurdles that you've had to kind of overcome? Um, and what would you say to other women that feel called uh, to do, do more in the kingdom? Yeah, I think it's, you know, being called into full-time ministry, for me, you know, very quickly you realize that the church is dominated by men. 
Um, and so you, you feel often feel alone. I know our denomination back in Australia what was just happened to be one of the first ones that ordained females. Uh, but there was still wasn't a lot of us <laughs> in comparison to men. So you, you have to navigate some of that stuff. Um, and you pretty soon will come up against blockages, you know, where people, it's like, no, you can go so far but no further. Um, that, that can be really difficult for women um, because men hold a lot of the power. They hold the keys to the doors. And it's often, very often, in the context of the church, it's the man that has to open the door for the woman to be able to step through. Whether we like that or not, that's just the reality of how it is. Um, so there are all sorts of external blockages that sometimes we need to overcome and sometimes we need to have men, again, opening some of those doors. But I found with a lot of women, not more often than not, but a lot of the times uh, women have internal blockages as well. It's our own scripting that kind of holds us from stepping into what God has for us. So we've got to kind of work out what do we feel ourselves, what is stopping us from being all that God has called us to be um, and begin to work through some of those things because they can be powerful blockers in the work that God has called us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you, um, could you maybe, do you have a story? I mean, you have several stories about people that you've journeyed with and their sexuality and spirituality. Uh, could you maybe share an example of one of those journeys? Um, maybe I'll share the example of the little church that I spoke at, mm-hmm. I think, because I think it's a really encouraging story. I was invited to speak um, on issues of human sexuality and vulnerability and what it is to create a safe place uh, where we can begin to share some of the stuff uh, that, that we have within us. And um, so I, I was preaching, and um, it was in a little rural community, so it was probably about 80 people in the church. And... Um, after I had finished, the pastor came up and said, let's just have a moment of silence um, and reflect about what Debbie has talked about and reflect about maybe some of those broken parts within you that you need healing and restoration and, and that. And um, so we were just, I was still standing up the front with him and we, it was just silent. Everybody was standing. And then um, in this time of silence, this young man just spoke up and he said, I just need to speak this out. I've just, I just feel like God is prompting me to kind of share with you. And he began to share. He, he was 17 years of age. He said, I'm 17. He said, and I am really struggling with pornography and with compulsive masturbation. I mean, he just said it out there in, in, before his church family. And you could have heard like a pin drop. Like everyone's just like looking like, what do we do now? Like, how do we respond? And One of the men went over to him and just put his arm around him. But everyone was still quiet. And then this old lady stands up and she thanks the young man. She said, thank you so much for being so vulnerable. We don't talk about these things in the church. She said, but you've made me feel brave enough to also stand up. She said, I just want you to know I'm 76 years of age. She said, and I lost my husband 10 years ago. She said, and I'm not struggling like my young brother here, not in the same way. She said, but I am struggling with loneliness. She said, I just long to have relationships. She said, and I want my family to pray for me. And it was one of those moments where these two vulnerable people, both struggling with their sexuality in different ways, you know, different age groups, 
Um, and the pastor just led us in this incredible prayer. And I felt God's grace and God's spirit fall on that place um, in such a profound way because they were vulnerable. They were able to speak about what was really happening. Now, that's tough stuff to do that. But, you know, that pastor said to me that church was never the same. It was just that kind of that little domino effect. You know, when people begin to be able to just share some of their relational brokenness or their relational need uh, mm -hmm. with one another, then we're able more to, to help and to pray for one another. Yeah, and Thomas, I remember he said last week that, um, you know, we're often silent, I mean, in the church about especially issues around sexuality or abuse or things like that. And, um, and so, I mean, it's a great example of um, how we can posture ourselves right as welcoming to uh, people that are having different different issues but we're all you say we're all on this um, broken sexual journey right of sexual identity yeah i think yeah. it's it's too easy for us to point the finger at others mm -hmm. um and say you know look at the broken people over there and but we are all profoundly sexual and all profoundly broken um, so, you know, it's, it's no good pointing fingers. It's, I think God wants us to look at ourselves and our own broken parts um, and seek him for healing and so that his body can be the reflection of what a redeemed humanity looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for um, this morning. Um, and we're so short on time. I, I have a hundred other questions. Um, I've been amazed at how Deb... Um, can walk with um, a pretty traditional biblical view of sexuality and marriage and those kinds of things and, and then just love people um, toward the gospel and toward Jesus that are very, very different. And it's helped me in my journey. Uh, so I want to thank you for the time and effort uh, to write your book and, and to go around speaking on this. Um, as we've done this uh, series, we've just we've seen a lot of things come to the surface um, here as well. Um, last week, there were women praying with each other. We had people in a prayer room um, after we talked about the Me Too movement and about abuse. Um, there were tears and and a lot of loving on each other, and uh, and that's been good. Uh, but it, it occurred to me that for three weeks we've been talking about brokenness, you know, a lot of brokenness. It can be pretty heavy topics um, for us as a community. And um, so I wanted to remind us um, this morning um, where we're going um, and not that we just live just like this because we're Jesus people. And Jesus people live with a hope and, um, and a picture of what is to come. And so... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to stand, and I just I want to read to you what Scripture says about where we're going um, so that we don't just think, well, we just wallow around in brokenness, and that's, and that's all we do because that's not our hope. So let me, I want to invite you to stand, and let me just read this over you, and then I'm going to ask Deb to um, just pray over us as a church uh, because in our community we have stories abuse, uh, divorce, broken relationships, all kinds of issues, all of us have those, and, uh, and also pray over our city uh, that we could be carriers of the gospel and, and shalom and peace in people's lives. Um, so let me read this and then devil pray over us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So as men, as women, as people with brokenness, this is where we're going. Lord, would you pray over us? Lord, we stand before you as your people, your people filled with hope for where we are headed people knowing that our God has won the war, that redemption is on our side. But Lord, we still live in the midst of the mess of the reality of the, of the not yet um, and what is to come. And Lord, I pray that you would help us navigate this season of our lives until we come into your presence. That Lord, we would seek you for the redemption all those broken parts that exist within us. Lord, help us as your people to be a people that are not afraid to talk about the hard issues, that are people that are not afraid to share some of those broken parts with one another. Lord, your word, James, tells us that when we share and confess our broken areas, that that's when our healing comes. And I pray, Lord, for everybody here today, Lord, that they would know the hope they have in you and that they would know the healing that can be found in you. And Lord, I pray as we, each of us, engage in the city, in our neighbourhoods and in our city, this city, Lord, where you've called this group of people, I pray that we would be the ones that would have the messages of hope for a world that is lost and broken, for a world that is looking for answers, for a world people that are filled with that God-shaped hole that only you can fill. I pray, Lord, uh, that you would help us, that, you, that we would be those messengers of hope. And I pray, God, that, that we would become all that you have called us to become. I pray that you would release us as your people, that we would be the Jesus people in the communities and in our neighbourhoods. Lord, I thank you that you've given each and every one of us life and life in abundance. Lord, I pray that we would experience this in our own individual lives and in the lives of this community. I thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for the change and the difference you have made in each of us. I pray all this in your mighty and powerful name, Jesus. Amen.